0: welcome. I feel like you're in a yoga studio or something, right? <laughs> they say that actually neurologically that taking deep breaths actually does make a difference with your anxiety. It's pretty wild. So um, glad you're here this morning. Welcome. If I haven't met you before, my name is Spencer, and I have the honor and privilege to be one of our pastors here. And I'll be honest, I haven't taught in three weeks. We have had some incredible teachings the past few weeks. The first Sunday was my wife, Jordan. She taught and brought the word, taught the scriptures. A fantastic job. And then Dana Carr taught on the table. It was beautiful. And so we moved into the idea of the table and who is at our table and what happens at the table. And then last week, we had two young college leaders, Izzy and Kayla, who crushed it, I thought, They did a fantastic job, and now I get a chance to teach. So to be straight up with you, I have five pages of notes, which for me is a lot. I have spent a lot of time in preparation this week, so if we go a little long, which you know I'm long-winded as it is, just buckle your seatbelt in. You'll have the rest of your afternoon later. It's all good, okay? (laughs) Today we start a new teaching that I feel like is... Probably one of the more formidable teachings for our community up until this point and will be probably going forward, not just for our community, but for you as an individual and as a follower of the way of Jesus. Because we are going to be looking at and defining what the gospel is. I believe we live in a culture that is experiencing what is known as a gospel gap. Or we don't have a full understanding or clear understanding of what the gospel is from the teachings of the apostles as well as the teachings of Jesus. And so we will be diving in over the next few weeks into the idea of the gospel. But to do that, we also have to connect it to the large narrative that is the God's story that you and I are a part of, that we are not detached from, we are participants in and characters in the larger God's story. So with that being said, let's go ahead and jump into the scripture. I have a lot of verses to cover, so go ahead and hop in either on your, your, your tablet, your phone, iPhone, whatever you got, smartphone, whatever, it's all good. Android praying for you, all right? 1 Corinthians 15 is where we're going to be at, 1 Corinthians 15, starting in verse 1. I'm going to go ahead and start reading because we have a lot to cover this morning. Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel, you are saved if you hold firmly to the word I preached to you. Otherwise, you have believed in vain. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance. That Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me also as to one abnormally born." For I'm the least of the apostles and do not even deserve to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace to me was not without effect. No, I worked harder than all of them. Yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. Whether then it is I or they, that is what we preach. And this is what you believed. Now, Romans chapter one, Romans chapter one, starting in verse one. 2 Timothy 2, verse 8. Again, this is Paul speaking to Timothy. Remember Jesus Christ, raised from the dead, descended from David. This is my gospel for which I am suffering. Holy Spirit, we invite you to come. Have your way now. Move in our midst. We love you dearly, Lord Jesus. We thank you for your grace, your mercy, and your love. Speak through me now as we dive into the Holy Scriptures. And everybody said... Amen. Typically, at this point in the teaching, I would give some story or analogy that might make you laugh, that might make you get engaged, or whatever it may be. Today, I'm not doing that. I really don't have any funny stories, no funny analogies. We're just going to dive into the scriptures. Hope that's cool with you, okay? That being said, words matter. Do we agree? Words matter. The meaning of words matter. Even more importantly, the intent of the one using the word matters. Context is what gives words meaning. However, as you have heard me say many times before, and I quote Scott McKnight, when words begin to have multiple meanings, they end up meaning nothing at all, or at least lose weight, value, and clarity. Dr. Tim Mackey says this, over time, religious words like gospel can lose their power and meaning by becoming too familiar. How about you? Are there words in your life that you use on a regular basis that to this point now have lost their meaning because you use them so often, so consistently they've lost their, their weight or their sense of value and clarity? The word gospel, dare I say, has become too familiar. It's become too familiar in our circles that we run in as the church in the West, especially post-Reformation, going back hundreds of years. And even more so, I believe, has lost its original intention based on the teachings of Jesus and the apostles, specifically Paul and Peter. In the last year, personally, I have been in a deep search, trying to, to uncover and determine what the gospel is. And whatever you do, don't search What is the gospel on YouTube? You will find teachings that are an hour and a half, two hours, three hours long, and by the end you're still lost trying to figure out what is the gospel. So I've been on this journey myself personally over the last few months trying to decide on what is the gospel based on the teachings of Jesus as well as the New Testament writers. That all came to be when I was reading a book, and in the book it was given this story of a guy who was asked the question, did Jesus preach the gospel? Did Jesus preach the gospel? And the young man replied, Well, no, he didn't preach the gospel because he had not yet died. So sins weren't justified yet. And you're like, Well, what a shame. Jesus was born on the wrong side of the cross, he couldn't preach the gospel. How, 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 shame, how shame is that? Like, you can't even preach the gospel. And through that, I began to discover and even reading this book that's been very impactful for my life that Jesus did in fact preach the gospel. And we have a misconstrued idea of what the gospel actually is. We have a hard time clearly understanding what this word gospel is. And so I've been on this search personally and not simply based on Western Christian ideology and thought but based on the scriptures. Simply because... The word gospel has tended to be shaped by the method used to share instead of the method and message being shaped by what the gospel actually is. The gospel has been shaped by the method used to share versus the method being shaped by what the gospel is. Our definition of the gospel has been altered, I think, because of the method of persuasion that we use to try and see people get saved, instead of the method itself being shaped by what the gospel inherently is. That is the crisis that we find ourselves in, I believe. Dr. Eric Mason says, if we contextualize the gospel in a way that removes the function of the gospel, then we have failed. Fleming Rutledge says this, the gospel is not inert, it's not lacking. It has power to evoke both faith and action. First and foremost, the word gospel is a noun. It's a noun. And it's rooted in a verb. In ancient Greek and Hebrew, oftentimes nouns were closely connected to a verb root. Throughout the scriptures, we see that over and over again, a noun word connected to a verb Root. And let me say this. It is not an adjective. Christians in the West love to turn biblical nouns into adjectives to describe things. We've used Christian as an adjective to describe things. Christian is not an adjective. It is a noun. It is the essence of something. It does not describe something. Gospel has oftentimes become an adjective. Gospel music. It is not an adjective. It is a noun And we see the word gospel in the New Testament, it is the the Greek word euangelion. We've shared this over and over again, but I want to get it into our brains that the New Testament Greek word for gospel is the word euangelion. It appears 95 times in the New Testament. And it's literally translated good announcement or good tidings or could also be translated, as we know, good News. Adjectives or ways that we describe things might change over time, but what is doesn't change. Adjectives can change, but what is or what the gospel is, this noun doesn't change over time. However, to use the word news, I think to describe as part of the translation um, of the word gospel, in the midst of a digital age that we live in where media and news comes to us. We don't go to it. It comes to us. We see it all the time. It's changing always. To say it's good news, it kind of loses its luster. It loses its meaning quite a bit. So we need to go back, I think, to the Old Testament understanding of the word or the phrase good news as well, because I think it helps us frame the idea of good news even more. The word in the Old Testament is the word beser. Beser. You're learning Greek and Hebrew today. Costs you nothing. Incredible. Beser, okay? You see this idea of beser, this word used a lot in 1st and 2nd Samuel. You also see it a lot in Isaiah. When Isaiah is referring to the soon to be Messiah coming to bring good news to the poor, it is the word beser. And the word Becer appears 48 times in the Old Testament and means a royal announcement or national news. Good news, as understood by the writers of the Bible, is most often connected to a heralded, royal, kingdom-centric announcement that shapes the course of history. That's why Paul refers to himself in Timothy a couple different times as a herald of the gospel, a herald of the gospel herald in the new testament is defined as a messenger vested with public authority who conveys the official messages of kings magistrates princes and military commanders do you see the connection between gospel and kingdom political authority rulers princes princesses kings We see that in the New Testament with Paul as well as in the Old Testament with this idea of beser. So we can see that the gospel isn't simply a tweet. It's not simply a new Instagram story or even an editorial in the New York Times, not even a singular story shared on NPR. Though gospel would be shared on all of those outlets, the nature of gospel is an announcement that quite literally changes the course and trajectory of history. It's not just flashing news that goes before us and is just part of the jumbled up news that is the world we live in today. I think the newspaper itself has gotten so large and now it's basically digital. Everyone reads the newspaper online because there's so much news and content. N.T. Wright says, the gospel is about events that have taken place that as a result of which the world is a different place. Listen to that. The gospel is about events that have taken place that as a result of which the world is a different place. Many of us, however, have been told that the gospel, according to the Bible authors, is the plan of salvation. Or Jesus loves you. Or it's the set of Christian beliefs. A lot of you maybe grew up in a tradition where you learned what's called the Romans road. You know? You draw the little chasm. You draw the left side and the right side. You draw you on one side, the chasm that's sin. You know, you're on one side of the chasm. God's on the other side of the chasm. But Jesus enters the picture and you draw the cross down the middle and you create a bridge and you're like, now you can walk across the bridge of salvation. That is the gospel. That is not the fullness of the gospel according to the scriptures. But some of us grew grew up in that tradition. Is that biblically accurate? Is that an idea that we see in the scriptures? 100%. To say it is gospel, although, is not fully accurate. It's not fully accurate. When we reduce the gospel to simply a plan of salvation, we end up only getting decisions. And what happens when we misunderstand or misrepresent what the gospel is, we end up producing something it wasn't fully meant to produce. When the whole goal, vision, and call of Jesus was to actually make disciples, not merely get decisions When you reduce it to a plan or a rehearsed set of words, it ends up simply creating decisions and not disciples of the way of Jesus. Draw the cross, hop on over. Yay, you made the decision. Woo! You know, we live in what's called a salvation culture. We live in a salvation culture. And what happens is it jeopardizes gospel culture. It jeopardizes discipleship culture because it ends up being about how many hands were raised, how many people walked to the front, not about a lifelong pursuit of obedience to the way of Jesus. call Eugene Peterson calls it long obedience in the same direction. We miss out on the call of come follow me. Repent for the kingdom of heaven is near. Scott McKnight says, the gospel we preach shapes the kinds of churches we create. Fire. That is straight heat right there. The gospel we preach shapes the kinds of churches we create. Dallas Willard calls it the gospel of sin management. This isn't the gospel. It's funny because when I began preparing for the teaching this weekend, My hope was to actually jump into the story of God, but I got so wrapped up in helping us understand the gospel, we won't even get to the the beginning part of the story of God until next week. So we're diving deep into this idea of the gospel today because I want it to be so clear because for some of us growing up in the Bible Belt South, we have this misconstrued idea of gospel to the point where I think we need to quite literally repent. And get a new perspective, a true biblical perspective of what the gospel is. And the gospel we preach shapes the kinds of churches we create. When we talk about the gospel as sin management or salvation centered, it tends to be focusing on you and I. As a matter of fact, though, the gospel isn't centered on you or I. We don't dictate whether the gospel is true or not. Although we are affected by it, we aren't the fulcrum that the gospel sits on. Are you tracking? We are not the fulcrum that the gospel sits on. The first few verses in 1 Corinthians 15 are probably the clearest articulation of what the gospel is in all of the New Testament, let alone the whole canon of Scripture known as the Bible. In fact, many scholars believe that this set of verses was the very first creed of the early church. Before the Nicene Creed, before the Apostles' Creed, you had First Corinthians 15, as a matter of fact, before the before the New Testament was canonized, before the New Testament was put together a couple hundred years later, you had the gospel. You had this creed that was shared amongst followers of the way of Jesus, both Jews and Gentile. This is what was bringing them together in alignment before the Apostles' Creed, the Nicene Creed, before the New Testament was even put together, you had 1 Corinthians 15. You had this section of verses. So let's go to those right now, once again. Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you, this isn't new news. Paul's saying, I want to remind you of news that you've, which you have been given. I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel, you are saved, if you hold firmly to the word I preach to you. Otherwise, you have believed in vain. Paul is saying that this was passed on to him. This is not new ideology from Paul. This isn't a new theological statement that Paul is giving. It has been passed on to him, and he has passed it on to the Christians and the church in Corinth. This wasn't New news that Paul was sharing. This was the core message of followers of Jesus that was circulating all throughout Jerusalem and now into the Gentile world. If you held to this gospel, believed in this gospel, it was what aligned you with the ecclesia or with the church. This was what aligned you if you believed in this gospel. Notice Paul's specific language in regards to salvation. Because some of us read this because of our salvation culture, we jump to what he says this is what you're saved by, is by this gospel you are saved. But notice the specific language of Paul. By this gospel you are saved. It isn't the gospel of salvation, but it is by or through or because of this gospel you are saved. Matter of fact, you could almost say it is by this good news, you have good news. Are you tracking with me? By this good news, you have good news. Because of gospel, by this gospel, you have been saved. But it isn't simply the gospel of salvation. He goes on to say, for what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. Key phrase, according to the scriptures. That he was buried, that he was raised on the third day. Oh, there's our phrase again, according to the scriptures. Now, if we look at Romans 1, which many point to as the gospel book. This is Paul's greatest theological work. All my Reformed brothers and sisters love the book of Romans. Paul has become the Messiah in the 21st century. Some of y'all are laughing, but you're like, I love John Piper, you know? It's all good. Love to Mr. Piper. But anyway, in Romans chapter 1, Paul lays out the core teaching of his message. In Romans chapter 1, the greatest theological work of Paul, potentially of the history of the church, in Romans And here it is, Paul, a servant of Christ Jesus, called to be an apostle and set apart through his gospel of God, the gospel he promised beforehand through his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. Again, we see this idea of the Scriptures according to the Scriptures The prophets in the Holy Scriptures regarding his son, who, as to his earthly life, was a descendant of David, and who, through the spirit of holiness, was appointed the Son of God in power by his resurrection from the dead Jesus Christ, our Lord. Boom! Come on, Paul. This is the gospel. This is it. This is the core of what it is. Now look at what he tells Timothy. Remember Jesus Christ raised from the dead, descended from David, this is my gospel for which I am suffering. He continues on. These are three different occasions in the New Testament. And what do we find at the core of what Paul is sharing? What do we find at the core of what Paul is sharing? It isn't salvation. It isn't doctrine. It isn't theology. It isn't atonement theory. All those things are well and good and beautiful, and you find those in the scriptures, but it's not at the core. What is at the core that we see over and over again, even in these three passages, is the story of Jesus. It is the story of Jesus, his life, death, death burial, and resurrection. Not only is it the story of Jesus, but as we read, it is the story of Jesus our Lord according to the scriptures, which when Paul says that, he's referring to the Old Testament. He's referring to the Old Testament, meaning to understand the story of Jesus, you must also understand the story of Israel. You must understand the Old Testament. You have to go back in order to understand what all is happening when it comes to the story of Jesus. And when we look at the story of Israel, then we begin to see the story of God, the larger meta-narrative that we are part of. And, and by the way, did you know, and I would love at some point to get into a teaching on how to read the Bible, but I want you to understand this: the scriptures, first of all, the Bible, that word Bible is not found in the scriptures ever. Not once. It means the book. Okay? which, by the way, it's not one book. It is a library of 66 books containing multiple genres, historical, discourse, poetic, genealogies, poems. I mean, it's, it's, it's all over the place, okay? However, when we talk about the Bible at large, the Scriptures, almost 50% of the Bible is narrative, Almost 50% of the Bible is story. Only about 25% is discourse or teaching. And yeah, we tend to read in a fundamental, literal kind of culture that we're in, the Bible Belt, that it's this encyclopedia or this manual that is read literally. You have to understand the author's intent when you read the scriptures. Because if not, you'll end up reading a poem like an encyclopedia, And that's not how you're supposed to read it. Or you'll read Genesis 1, like we're going to talk about next week, like a science textbook. And it's not. It's a poem of oral tradition for hundreds and hundreds of years. Track it with me. If you give keys to a kid and they drive a car and they drive the car into a building, is it the car's fault? No, you just gave keys to a kid who didn't know how to drive. Sometimes when we give the Bible, if we don't know how to drive the Bible, theoretically, we will drive it into a wall. You have to know how to approach the scriptures. And we have to know that about 50% of the entire Bible is narrative. Is it authoritative? 100%. Fundamentalists, conservatives love this. It's authoritative. It is these scriptures. It is the holy scriptures. Yes, it's authoritative, 100%. And then progressives on this end love, no, no, it's not authoritative. It's just great literature. It's great literature. Actually... It's both. It's both authoritative and it is literature. Were the writers of the Bible in a trance with their with their hand and a pen like this, and God's just moving their hand? No, that's not the case. You see, with Paul's writing, he has a personality. Some of the, the New Testament books we attribute to Paul are attributed to Paul because he has a certain way of writing. It is both authoritative and it is literature. It is divine literature. You have to understand how to read narrative. Matter of fact, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, guess what type of genre that is? Biography. Biography. You have to know how to approach the different genres to understand what is happening. So that's kind of a side conversation. We can get there another day, all right? But 50% of the entire Bible is narrative. It is story. Why does that matter? Because humans are story-shaped people. We are shaped by stories. It is compelling stories, not teachings, that shape and make culture. You want to change the world, see your friends set free? Share an alternative story. Share an alternative story. Jonathan Haidt, um, who is a social psychologist and professor at NYU, who is a secular atheist, by the way, says the human mind is a story processor, not a logic processor. Does that take away logic? Not at all. But we process in story form. We process as narrative beings. This was from an article entitled, It is Our Nature to Need Stories, from scientificamerican.com. Pete Hughes says, the story we live in is the story we live out. If you don't live in a way that is reflective or is connected to the story of God, you're missing the point. You're missing the point. And some of us don't even know where to start in the scriptures. We don't know how to read the scriptures. The first place you have to start is understanding the larger meta narrative, the story of God that we're part of, not detached from. And the gospel is the climactic point of that larger story. The gospel isn't merely any story, but it is a saving one. It is a saving one. That's how the story of the gospel is described, as a saving story. So, we come to this point of teaching where you're like, okay, what's the gospel? You're still asking the same question over and over again. What is the gospel? I ask this all the time. Where's Robbie at? I ask Robbie at least once a week. What is the gospel? And, you know, Rob, Robbie's a pretty deep dude. He's like, well, um, it's been great. It's fantastic. <laughs> We just sit there and pause for like a minute. Mm, What is the gospel? Matter of fact, he texted me yesterday, brilliant text, deep dude. He said, If you were to ask Jesus a question today, what would it be? And I said, What is the gospel? Here we go. I want you to understand the gospel. This is what you have to write down. This is kind of the point I'm coming to. This is the sentence that I think helps somewhat describe the gospel as clear as we possibly can get it. All right. This is what you're going to take with you in your notes. If you remember anything today, make sure if you don't remember anything today, make sure you remember this. The gospel in one sentence. Here we go. The gospel, I believe, according to the scriptures, is the saving story of Lord Jesus. The saving story of Lord Jesus. It isn't simply the plan of salvation. It isn't the method of persuasion. It is the... N.T. Wright also says this, the gospel is not an account of how people get saved. It is the proclamation of the lordship of Jesus Christ. If you go and read Acts and look at the various sermons in Acts from Peter you will see over and over again, oh, he's really proclaiming the story of Jesus. Life, death, burial, resurrection. It is a saving story of Jesus Christ. You ever wonder why Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John are referred to as the Gospels? Newsflash! It's the story of Jesus. It's the story of Jesus. They tell the story of Jesus. Matthew Mark, Matthew, Mark, and Luke are called the synoptic gospel because they tell a very similar story from just different eyewitness accounts. Now, when we say gospels, it's not a bad thing. It's not fully correct, though, because the gospels is not plural in regards to Jesus. There is one gospel according to. It's the gospel according to Matthew, the gospel according to Mark, the gospel according to Luke. We say gospels, I understand what we're saying, but in reality, it's simply the gospel, according to Matthew, Mark, Luke, John. Gospels, plural, is not fully accurate because as believers, listen to me, as believers, we are for only one gospel. Not multiple. Cannot be divided. It isn't the gospel of consumerism. The gospel of individualism. It isn't the gospel of racism. The gospel of nationalism. It's not the gospel of capitalism, socialism, tribalism, relativism. It's not the gospel of conservatives, the gospel of progressive, the gospel of Republicans or Democrats. But the gospel of King Jesus. Only one gospel. Not multiple. Which, by the way, is Offensive. It is offensive and calls into question all systems, idols, and theories created by mankind that doesn't align with the kingdom in which Jesus rules and reigns. And the response to this gospel is repentance and submission to Christ as not only Savior, but as Lord and King. In Acts, you see Peter again give this teaching, and the crowd's like, what do we do now? It's in that moment that their hearts have this tugging, and they repent. They rethink. They turn, and then they are baptized and become part of the, the larger global church at that moment. When this gospel is proclaimed that Jesus is Lord, the story of Jesus The response to the gospel is repentance and submission to Christ as not only Savior, but as Lord and King. When we limit it to only decisions, we only experience one characteristic of who Jesus is, and that's Savior. But He is also King and Lord, which will offend you because you're not. He's also Rabbi and Teacher, which means your ways probably aren't the best ways. His are. His yoke is easy and His burden is light. Jesus calls the disciples over and over again to practice his teachings. We can't limit it merely to Savior, but also have to embrace Jesus as Lord and King. The gospel isn't an announcement that requires or our response to be deemed as true, but a reality that simply is. It isn't a method of persuasion, but the proclamation of a message that fulfills the past and gives hope for the future. However, to understand the story of Jesus, you must understand the story told in the Old Testament regarding Israel, which I mentioned earlier, and we will get into that starting next week. McKnight says this, another just fire quote from Scott McKnight. He says, the reason many people don't read the Old Testament is because their gospel doesn't need it. Fire! Alarm just went off. I'm guilty of that, man. I just stay post-Matthew. Anybody like that? Like you look at the the right side of your Bible and it's highlighter everywhere. You go to Ezekiel, nothing. You go to the judges, nothing. Chronicles, forget it. Because our gospel doesn't need it. But we see with Paul consistently saying according to the scriptures, which means we gotta go back in order to understand what is happening in the present and what will happen in the future. You know, I was thinking last night, about movies. Any big movie fans in here? I want you to think of the movie that in your mind has the greatest soundtrack of all time. If you're old enough, it might be Saturday Night Fever. I mean, that, the Bee Gees ruled in the 70s, you know? Could be Shrek. Smash Mouth crushed it in that movie. I thought love was only true in fairy tales. Yep, love it. When donkey's singing at the end, fantastic. Love it. Eddie Murphy's singing Smash Mouth. Can't beat it, all right? <laughs> I asked someone this morning, what do you think it is? And they said, well, the Chronicles of Narnia is fantastic. Soundtrack. And you're like, Aslan's about to take him, baby. Let's go, Aslan. That white witch got nothing on Aslan, you know? Stone tablets break. It's incredible, you know? Maybe it's Titanic. Maybe it's Purple Rain. Purple Rain. Yeah, anyway, we're in church. Okay. <laughs> Maybe it's Remember the Titans, you know? A lot of great, great songs Remember the Titans. A lot of oldies, The Temptations killed it. Remember the Titans. Guardians of the Galaxy. Great soundtrack. Great soundtrack. But what I learned is that The point of movies isn't the soundtrack. The soundtrack is an implication of the movie and the plot line and the story. Now, a lot of us talk about soundtracks of movies and we're like, that oh, was incredible. But at the end of the day, it's about the plot line, the characters, and the climax, the, the beginning, the, the conflict, the rising action, the falling action, the resolution that makes the story. It makes the movie. But there's just a running thread throughout all of it that's the soundtrack. Salvation, my friends, is the soundtrack of the gospel. It is the sound of redemption. It is the sound of renewal. It is the soundtrack of people being set free. It is the soundtrack of repentance. It is a soundtrack of wholeness. It is a soundtrack of saving those that trust in Jesus Christ. But the soundtrack isn't the gospel. It isn't the full story. It is the story of King Jesus. The soundtrack, however, is salvation, repentance, redemption, restoration, healing, wholeness, renewal, revival, awakening. Newness. Salvation isn't story. It's an implication of the story. It is the announcement that the true story is the announcement of the story of Jesus as King. So why do we care in our community, which you've come to know this, why do we care about the liturgical calendar? Why do we care about the universal church calendar? Because it anchors us in the saving story of Jesus. It anchors us in the gospel. The season we're in now, some call it ordinary time, others call it epiphany tide. It's this season of revelation of the divinity of Jesus that will lead us up to Ash Wednesday and then to Lent and then to Easter. It anchors us in the story of Jesus. I would encourage you, even in your own life, to be aware and cognizant of the season that the, that the global church is in. Because you're a part of it. It anchors you in the story of King Jesus. The Old Testament reveals the gospel. The New Testament fulfills the gospel. God's story through Jesus. The gospel can't be separated from the story of God because it is the climax. It is the climactic moment. The basic plot line of a story, as many of you know, is an exposition or beginning, conflict, rising action, climax, falling action, and resolution. Now, if you are a literary nerd or literature nerd, there are multiple types of plot lines, I understand. The most basic, of course, is this plot line. And in the plot line of God, we have that structure through four basic parts that we'll get into starting next week. There's actually an image on the screen that will kind of help you understand this. We have the story of Israel in the Old Testament, the story of the church in the New Testament, the story of Jesus as the climactic moment. That is the gospel. We have the exposition, the beginning, conflict, rising action, climax with the story of Jesus, falling action with the church, and then the resolution. In the end, And the four main parts of the story of God that we are a part of that we will explore beginning next week is creation, fall, redemption, and restoration. Or new creation, as some say. That is the plot line. And you and I are in the middle between redemption and restoration. That is where you and I actually are in the present moment now. And we will explore that beginning next week. Brandon, I'm going to get you to come up and we're going to close this morning. And I want to close with this famous set of words from C.S. Lewis, from The Lion, the Witch, in the Wardrobe. Cue the music. No, I'm kidding. This is... Oh, that was great. Way to go, Chris. This is the metaphor Given by C.S. Lewis, I believe describes in its fullness what the gospel actually is. Lewis says this, watch the lion roam. Watch the lion die on the stone table. Watch the stone table crack with new creation powers. Listen to the lion's roar. Trust the lion." Love the Lion and live for the Lion. In case you didn't know, the Lion the Witch in their wardrobe is an allegory of the story of Jesus. Jesus is the Lion. That is the gospel. When you proclaim the gospel, the story of Jesus, there is new creation powers that are released in that moment that can break chains. can set you free because the soundtrack that Jesus listens to is the soundtrack of salvation because Jesus came to seek and save that which is lost it's the story of Jesus and his purpose and mission that's why it's a saving story he is after all of us I don't know about you I don't know your understanding of the gospel today I hope you have clarity this morning though on the gospel I want you to bask in the story of Jesus. Maybe take some time, beginning tomorrow and pick a biography of Jesus, pick one of the gospel accounts, sit in it for a while. sit in the story of Jesus, see what happens. Because some of us what we do is we read one or two verses here or there every day. It becomes like watching trailers of a movie. You need to watch the whole movie. You need to sit down and watch the whole thing, not just a clip. Spend some time, maybe even take a moment to to read through an entire gospel in one setting. Let that marinate on your mind, to read an entire story. This is key and pivotal for you and for our community to understand what the gospel is, the saving story of the Lord Jesus not simply the plan of salvation, but it's centered on Jesus as King and as Lord, as the fulfillment of the Old Testament and the story of Israel. Because he's conquered the grave, he is coming back one day and will restore all things and bring about a new creation as we will eventually see in Revelation 21 and 22. And that completes the larger story and the book closes. You know, I was reading this week that none of us will ever fully perish. Eternal beings who will live on forever, according to the scriptures. Our physical bodies may waste away, but our soul will live on forever in one of two places. And I even hate to say places, but one or two postures. One posture is an in intimacy with the Lord, and one posture is detached from the Lord in isolation. Hear the story this morning that Jesus came, He lived. Resurrected three days later. He appeared to the disciples. And guess what? He's coming back one day. Let's pray. Jesus, we love you dearly. We thank you for the good news that is the gospel, that you are Lord, that you are King. Your story is powerful. And oh Lord, may we understand the story, may it permeate our soul. You were born of a virgin, suffered under Pontius Pilate, took on death, defeated the grave, resurrected three days later. And if we trust in that story and trust in you as the focal point of the story, we would be saved. And that being the soundtrack of the gospel. The soundtrack of the story is redemption. He wants to redeem you, your heart, and your mind, your soul, and he wants you to follow him as Lord and as king. May we sit for a moment in the power that is the gospel, the good announcement, the royal announcement of a king that radically changes the course of history.